This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 159 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we share what we have learned from taking care of senior animals. Critter of the show is raising backyard chickens. In Critter Nutrition, we focus on the brain-gut connection. And in Coffee Clatch, we review a book about an octopus. Listen in. Tigger. And I'm Patty. And I'm Coach Jen. Welcome back. The, Tigger is back from the big vacation. The whole gang is here. Everybody's <laughs> yeah. units are working. Yay! Yay! It's a miracle. It's a miracle it's- of miracles. <laughs> and we're so happy that Tigger is back because Tigger had herself a little walkabout since we spoke A little last. vacay. A little vacay. Yes. And yes. Tigger, before we got started this, this evening said, and I quote, I will be happy to initiate the chit-chat so she has things to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sit down. Sit back. Listen. Yeah. Okay. So um, I've lived in Virginia, I think, for 37 years. And throughout most of the 37 years, I've heard people say about how beautiful the Outer Banks of North Carolina are. So... I finally decided I would go to the Outer Banks, and I really needed some ocean time. And um, so I rented a little house um, just north of Corolla, which is on the northern part of the Outer Banks. And it was in an area known as the 4x4 Beach. And the 4x4 Beach means you can only reach it with a four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive vehicle. And (laughs) that alone, I I had so many like mini heart moments climbing these dunes in my Subaru (laughs) that was supposed to be sort of a road. And luckily, being a New Englander, I'm used to getting stuck in places. So I I managed to um, get to the house and sort of go, okay, I'm I'm not leaving for four days. Yay. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And I had packed all my yeah. food. And um, I didn't realize, well, I realized, but I didn't realize how incredibly popular the Outer Banks are. <laughs> oh. Because there was an amazing amount of people. Uh-oh. And because this is such a remote area, the way people get to it is by joining these tours. <laughs> and these tours are these Humvees or big trucks or, I mean, there's a number of tour companies because this is where the wild horses are. And so there's <laughs> a constant flow of people going by the house um, on their way to see 
the horses. <clears throat> and that wasn't really what I had in mind. So um, my idea of this, you know, really quiet, remote <laughs> beach time um, was not exactly how it looked in my head. Uh-huh. But I did see the wild horses twice, a little band of three, one stallion, two mares, one mare pregnant. Um, and they came by twice. And the second time they came, they spent some time. And so I was really for an hour, I was able to really observe them. And so I would you can't get within 50 feet of the um, wild horses. But from the convenience of the balcony of the beach house, <laughs> I was able to observe them right across the street. And what really struck me, it was a really good reminder of they eat, they move, 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 they eat. They eat, they eat. Um, and I... It was a reminder to me how it's not just that the horses need to eat 20 hours a day. They need to eat and they need to move around. <gasps> ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. So um, I thank the horses for reminding me of that. And, um, okay, so, so the funny, not funny part of my vacation was when I was leaving, which was at seven o'clock in the morning because I knew there'd be a lot of traffic. And Saturday, all these families moved in to the area for the week. And it was like the arrival of lemmings. (laughs) I've never seen so many people in my whole life. And there's kids and they're screaming with joy, not pain. And, you know, in the evening, the men are out there barbecuing and they're the sound reverberates throughout the the dunes. And so it's amplified and it's Mm. like, Oh, whoa, it's quieter at my farm than it is on the beach. Oh boy. (laughs) So anyway, seven o'clock, I'm all packed, ready, get in the car, turn the car around so I could be headed out the driveway. And I, come down the driveway and immediately I get stuck. I'm stuck at seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. And there's no sign of any of my neighbors being awake. And I'm thinking, okay, do I call 911? Do I call a wrecker? And then this truck showed up and the young guy, he's on his way to work. He said, Oh, no problem. Um, do you have a shovel? I said, yeah, I've been shoveling it. I said, well, you, you're, you don't need to shovel out the tires. You need to shovel out underneath the car because the clearance wasn't high enough for the Subaru. Oh. Because of all the traffic, it had made the ruts deeper so that when wow. I when I had dr- driven in on Wednesday, the ruts weren't that deep. So the Subaru didn't bottom out. But because of the traffic, now it was deep. The Subaru just didn't have the clearance. So he, you know, moves it all. He gets in it. He gets it going. He stops. I get in. He said, you should be fine. I put my foot on the accelerator and I move about two feet and I'm stuck again. Oh. So oh, no. luckily, luckily I had a toe strap 
which the owner of the house had advised me to have a shovel and a toe strap. Um, so he brought his truck around. We put up, hooked up the toe strap. He towed me out into a flat area that was really compacted. So, you know, no problem. By now, I my stress and anxiety level, because I have to drive 3.7 miles back to the pavement, is at an all-time high. Mm. If I get stuck again, this guy's going to work, and I still have another dune I have to go over and then down to even get to the beach. I said, if I give you some money, will you take me back to pavement? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, sure. So I, we get back to the pavement. What you have to do when you when you go onto the beach, you have to take the air out of down in your tires, right? So you, my tires are at thirty two, and and to go on the beach, you should be at twenty to twenty five. He said his truck was at fifteen. Wow. So then you got to air up, right? Now you got to put air back in the tires. So I said, where do I go? I said, oh, you know, any place. <laughs> So I'm driving along and I see this convenience store and I see this air tank and I go, okay, perfect. I pull in, I grab the hose, I go to my front tire, I unscrew it, I press the nozzle in, I press down on the handle of the air hose and it sounds like air is coming out. And I'm like, what the heck? And then I go to the back tire and it's doing the same thing. I said, okay. So I go back and I hang hang up the air hose on the pump and I walk around to the front of the pump and said, insert 50 cents. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so now you got to find two quarters, <laughs> which I didn't have. Of course. So I, so I, oh, I, no. I put in, no, I had one quarter and, the, and I had a two, you know, dimes and a nickel. And so I put that in, nothing happened. No, it only takes quarters. And so, exactly. (laughs) So I went in and, you know, then I had bought this gauge on Amazon and it was a pretty like fancy. I mean, it was in, it had big numbers on it. And I thought, oh, that's way better than those skinny little stick things. Well, that thing was the worst gauge ever because it, it it didn't it wasn't anywhere near accurate. It changed. You could put it on, it would give you a number, you take it off, you put it back on, it would give you a totally different number. So I had to go back in and buy another tire cage. But I finally got that all done. Okay, we're ready to roll. And um I hit traffic at, you know, it was by now eight o'clock in the morning. Bumper to bumper. And I'm like, okay, I've I've had a relatively relaxing four days. And now I'm as tight as a tick. Yeah, so do you need a vacation? Yes, I, you need a vacation from your I vacation. Do. That's exactly right. I do. But it was great to see the wild horses because having grown up reading Misty of Chincoteague, I always mm. wanted to see them. And... Um, it was great to be able to spend, you know, a good hour watching them and, you know, being reminded of movement is just as important as eating. That's very, that's very interesting. 
whenever now the new stable that Nigel and Scooter live at now, um, there's really no grass to speak of, which is good for Scooter because really Scooter shouldn't be having much grass. He's a little fat pony. So I take them out and hand graze them pretty much every day. And that's very interesting that you point that out because you see grooms everywhere hand grazing yeah. horses. Yeah. And it's always a battle because the horse wants to wander all over the exactly. place. And the groom's going, no, just stand still and eat. And yeah, I've noticed no. that whenever I take them out, they don't go straight for the grass. They no. have to walk around for a good five yeah. minutes and just grab a bite as they move before they'll yep. settle down and actually eat. That's very interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. I think it, we, we need to rethink how long we keep them in stalls just eating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the eating part is important, but they can't move around much in a stall. Right. Right. And that's interesting. My, my brain gets stuck on things sometimes when I can't sleep. And the fancy European style walkers that they have now. Yep. Yep. You need to just put a hay net in the front of yep. each section. Yep. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> that's smart. You know, they just walk along and munch as they go. <laughs> Which would be much more um, towards the natural biology of horses. Yeah, because, and you're right, they do. They they eat a couple of bites, they take a step. They eat a couple of bites, they take a step. Yeah. They eat a couple of bites, they, dr- they walk 12 steps to a better patch of grass. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot mm-hmm. of wandering. Yep. Yeah. Lots of wandering. Yeah. And it's like there's that ad for um, some arthritis medicine that says that you have to keep moving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the horses do that. There you go. And the other thing that really, it was co- coincidental, is I watched um, the BBC um, program Prehistoric Planet that's on Apple TV. It's a four or five part series about the Triassic period all over the world, all the different dinosaurs. And my gosh, although horses didn't descend from dinosaurs, the browsing dinosaurs walk, eat, Hmm. walk, eat, walk, eat, walk, eat. Yeah. Huh. Pretty cool. So now we're at Roundtable, and our discussion is what we have learned from taking care of senior animals. And I, I find that, that senior dogs and senior horses and senior kitties, they propose unique um, management challenges as well as um, reminders of how we treat uh, our more senior humans. There are a lot of parallels, I think. And um, I, I have learned as much from my older animals as I have from my puppies. Just It's just mm. different. Um, from the seniors, I have a, you know, a greater appreciation of patience. Um, because they move slower or they eat slower or they're processing information slower um, or things that didn't bother them now terrify them, um, especially yeah. horses. 
they, you know, who, the horse that used to be really brave is like, oh, no, I can't possibly go past that flapping saddle pad. And I, I think it's a real uh, opportunity for us as the caretakers to learn from what they're showing us. And also be able to apply it to the older humans in our lives. Because, I, 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 you know, we all know how frustrating it can be with an older parent or an older family member that doesn't hear well and doesn't have a hearing aid and has some health issues and doesn't remember things. And mm. um, I, I try to relate that back to the animals. Uh, how how they process the same kind of differences. You know, they're not young ones anymore. Um, and so navigating the world with the changes in their bodies in the aging process makes the world sometimes a scarier place. Um, and I, I, I feel... I feel very blessed that we even have senior animals mm. um, because they really offer us such an opportunity to learn and and to change things up. You know, I have a senior dog. His name is Kimasabi. And he used to have a voracious appetite. Well, now he kind of doesn't. And some days he eats well, and some days he doesn't. And I, I, I sort of can easily turn into a Jewish mother fully flipping <laughs> out. Oh, my God, you didn't eat. And <laughs> let me make you something else or let me get you something else. And uh, I, I'm really learning to let go of that, to just not make a judgment but just observe, you know, he's not throwing up, he doesn't have diarrhea, you know, all everything else is is pretty normal. He just sometimes doesn't have much of an appetite or doesn't want, you know, food that he normally likes. Now he likes something different. Okay, just go with the flow of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think we... We stress about it and we project those stresses onto the animal. You have to yes. help try, try to relate to the animal in the here and now that he's living in or he, she's living in because yes. that's where they are. They're in the here and the now. Yep. And, oh my goodness, he didn't eat well today. Okay, I'm stressed over that. But I have to be careful not to project my stress into what they're really demonstrating to me. I'm just not really hungry today. Maybe that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there, there have been times, you know, recently where um, when Kimasabi goes on a walk with us, and he walks very slowly these days. So it's a, it's, it's a, a very slow, leisurely. The young dogs run ahead and, you know, do their thing, and I stay back with him. And there are times when he's just walking along, and all four legs go out in four directions. I'm just splat. Oh well. And I look at him, and he's sort of sheepish, and then he just sort of manages to gather them all up again and get up. 
And <laughs> it's kind of remarkable. Because it's like, it uh, yeah, da, da, da. yeah, onward we go. And I, when that happens, I, it's a, I think to myself, when I get to the point where my limbs are going out in four directions, I want to think about Sabi. And instead of complaining yeah. about it, which would be my choice, I'm going to think about how Sabi handle it and just go, okay, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> I'll giggle a little bit. Yeah. And you see, living in the moment a little bit more for us humans, that's, yes. that's something we can learn from them. Yeah. Mm. Amen yeah. to that. Yeah. And, and Patty, you've had a number of older animals. I have. And it's, it's funny. Cause I think, you know, obviously, um, the most recent one for me was, uh, Gavin who was, I mean, they're all heart animals, but it's funny. I, I don't know that I have thought of a dog that has left us as much as I have him. And I'm not a hundred percent sure why I think it's just because he traveled, he, he traveled all over. He was the, the last dog I had that all my kids were in the house with. And, uh-huh. um, it was just such a part of the family. And it's, I, I had a dream about him just the other night, but you know, for him, um, he, you know, started, he, he, um, at a young age and Tigger knows this because, yep. um, I called her in a panic. Um, he had, um, became epileptic and, you know, I, it was recommended I put him on phenobarbital, which I think was a wise thing for me to do. So he, he had dealt with that and he lived to a wonderful age of 15 and he had a great life and he traveled everywhere. But, you know, he went from being, you know, um, he was a little border terrier. So he was just had just enough terror terrier in him, but was just, you know, um, just a, just a kid, the best, he was the happiest dog. And I just wanted to make sure he stayed happy as he got older. And, um, and kind of like what you're saying, Tigger, you know, um, you know, he, I didn't end up, I end up taking him for walks anymore, but we would certainly go in the backyard and, and I would just sit on the ground with him because he couldn't hear and see as much and the other dogs would fly by him. And so, you know, I, but I began to realize such a difference in how my other dogs reacted to him uh-huh. as he started to decline. And I don't know if they, you're all are all big and Gavin was small and I have two Aussies and two French bulldogs that are like bricks, they're moving bricks. And, um, and, you know, I just became so much more aware of them not being aware of where he was and having to be very responsible for that. Um, and, uh, you know, just like you said, just, you know, kind of paying attention to what they do every day. Um, for me, the hard indicator, indicator, what Gavin loved to eat. Oh, well, especially when he had been on the phenobarbital, they like to eat when they're on that. So when he would start, when he wouldn't eat, I would just be, you know, I would start to panic, but he, you know, they, I think when you make them feel safe, yeah, they feel safe and yeah. um, you just have to be willing to realize, I mean, it's not, it's hard with an older dog. I mean, just they, their needs change um, and they ebb and they flow just, I'm sure like it will be with people, but um, it's amazing it's amazing just listening to Sabi and hearing him get back up just how incredibly um, agile they still are at such a young age. If you think about it, you know, um, can you imagine going splat and then getting it together and going on and walking after that? No. I would, you know, I'd just be like, I'm going to be right here, you know, come back in like three, four years, you know, just, <laughs> I'll be good. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, it's one thing amazing. that I, um, 
I think really extended my horse Lionheart's life because he died at 33 mm. was that he was living out in a herd moving yeah. and eating yeah and I can't agree with you more well yeah he had mental he had mental and physical stimulation of yes. an appropriate mm-hmm. level yeah. because and that's the best kind of stimulation what what better, doesn't get any better than a literally a herd not just another horse here or there but his own herd that didn't change because as we know when your herd changes that's stressful yeah mm-hmm. and he had open spaces to wander about in at his leisure yep but he also didn't have to stress about getting enough calories into his body because he, no. he had his humans around for that yep um so that you know that is the best life for a senior human horse dog cat guinea pig right yeah yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's the the movement, yeah. and, oh, and yeah. I, I just want to you know give a shout out to any of our listeners who have retired their horses and sent them to a retirement facility that is you know uh, com, com, comp, com, comprised of of groups that that live out primarily. That's the you, know, you are you are extending the life of your horse. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And and with the and dogs, get a good it's, it's the same. They need to move around, even when they go splat. Even when they go splat. Hello, Hetty. Hetty. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Thriving. And you? Good. I have a question for you that I think that will be a good question to ask. Do you ever okay. think about getting old? Well, you know, that's a sobering question at this moment. Um, you know, my sister, my nice sister, the real sister, is getting old and I worry about it all the time because she's not herself. You know, she sleeps a lot more, even more than me. And sometimes I worry that she's not going to wake up. And so I prod her until she does. And which is good at night. Yeah. I just don't want her to, you know, be dead. Um, And then sometimes at night when the human servant is doing some weird thing with her teeth in the bathroom. I don't know. My sister will just go right to sleep. And then I don't know what to do because normally I would have played with my sister, but she's asleep. So what do I do now? So then I go and I batter the other sisters with my paws. <laughs> Which is good. <laughs> it's like displacement battering. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But I do worry about my sister getting old. I'm not that worried about me because I am eternal. Uh-huh. Oh. Well, just yes, wait until I'll you get Yes, I'll play deluge. <laughs> and what does that mean? After me, the flood. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and there you have Apocalypse. it, Apocalypse. <laughs> It's an yeah. apocalypse <laughs> reference, just to catch up anyone who might be a little bit lost. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there you have it. Well, you've heard it from the, 
the podcast world's only talking Pomeranian. Yep. This is what it looks like to get old. Now, don't do it's, it. It's eternal. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, eternity. Exactly. Thank you, yeah. Hedwig. Thanks, Excellent, recommend- Excellent recommendations. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. And now it's time for the breed of the show. So we are at the breed of the show section of the program, and we're going to make it all about chickens. And we're going to do that because I am recently become quite interested. I have always been surrounded by many friends, Tigger being one of them, and my daughter, and have done backyard chickens for years, and they've loved it. And I just recently decided to take the plunge. I was seeing my daughter and her husband in Virginia a couple weeks ago, and they were incubating eggs. And I just became so enthralled with the whole thing. Um, so I've been doing tons of research and, of course, asking anybody you know, that I know about it. And there's several ways to do this. Um, with getting chickens. And I'm going to just go through the process that, that I've been decided to do. Um, you can get local, and I'm talking about just, we're going to do from chicks to, you know, start from baby chicks and go from there. Um, you can get chicks from your local feed store or tractor supply, or you can do what I've done. I wanted to get specific breeds that would be hatched up on a certain date. And then you actually get them sent to you in the mail, which I find fascinating that you get live chicks in the mail and but they're fine but we'll get back to that um first and foremost you have to make sure that you check the ordinances in your town or city because there are tons of places that allow backyard chickens but oddly enough there are some areas that you think would allow them that allow livestock but don't actually allow chickens for example in my area i'm allowed chickens but they have to be 25 feet away from another property line or a neighbor um there's also yeah it's interesting um you also, um, w- which is weird because the people who owned my house beforehand had a Frisian stallion. Go figure. <laughs> um, and they had goats, but chickens, I guess, because they're loud. Um, um, but there's also sometimes there can be a limit on how many you can have, et cetera. So it's really easy to figure it out. You just go to your town and look up your ordinances. It saves you a lot of heartbreak if you've already purchased the chickens and are falling in love with them. Um so I cannot emphasize enough, everybody that I've talked to, the important the importance of securing your coop and run and making it as predator-proof predator as possible. Um, you, you just want to actually have everything ready before you even get your chickens or your hens if you're getting them older. I live in the part of the country where there are a lot of wildlife, just like you, Tigger. Um, and actually, you can say that and live in a neighborhood and still have predators, but you have to ensure that the chicken, the coop, and the runs are very safe. Um, so first and foremost, foremost, you want to keep predators out. Foxes, coyotes, and other critters will try to dig underneath the run. One way to prevent this is that you can either put down concrete that makes it hard for them to dig under or even uh, bury wire down up like four inches. In my part of the country, it's hard to do that because it's really dry here and it's like drilling into concrete. Um, so we're going to put um, what they call an apron underneath it so they can't dig in. Um, so you're um, getting chickens. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, Tiggs. I've named them all. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. <laughs> um, you I have them? Not yet. I have, um, they're, they're, 
they're they'll hatch on the 21st and they will um be delivered to me like two days later so i'm quite excited about this um are you rolling your eyes it's not a no, dog i'm happy I'm, <laughs> I, have, I, I have 18 chickens come on okay well good okay um, so chime in on any of this, cause this is just what I've gone by, um, what I'm doing. Um, and I have to keep them. I, I'm not going to let my chickens loose when I'm not here because I'm gone too much during the day. And I live in large, like two to three acre lots, but there's too many predators. And that's why I want to emphasize on the chicken coop and how to keep it, you know, protected. Um, the one other thing that I've really learned in doing all of my research is there really is no such thing as chicken wire. Yes, there's chicken wire, but it's not chicken wires that um, keep chickens safe because you can a fox can get through anything. I'm sure, Tigger, you know that. Yes. Um, so you want to buy the proper fencing and look into it. It has to be something that's very close together um, because those little skinny hineys can get through almost any area. Um, they have something called a chicken net. Do you know what I'm talking about, Tigger? It's like yes. it's more of a yes. Okay, it's a lot. Um, you can get this online or go to your local feed store. Tractor Supply was really quite great about all of it. Um, then you go to your actual chicken coop. You have to make sure um, there's enough room in there. It all depends on how you want to do it. I wanted. To, I have an old building that I'm going to convert over, um, but you have to make sure you have roosting bars and um, also laying boxes um, for your hens. A good rule of thumb is one nesting box for every four chickens. Um, it's important that you don't let them get overcrowded. I went ahead and got one rooster. I've been told they're great for the flock and they can help protect yeah. them, uh, yeah. which is a good thing. But you also are going to run the risk that they could fertilize some eggs. So you have to yep. um, be prepared for more chicks if that happens. And um, if not, just make sure you're picking the eggs up um, because they can be sneaky. Um on to what type of chickens people often choose the hens by the color of their eggs um, i personally was more interested in the size and the personality because they will be pets all of my chickens are already named <laughs> i have not even met them yet <laughs> um, and the w- best thing to do is do your research um i went with um a couple different cochins brahmas and orpingtons and i wanted to do a little fun one called a frizzle easter egger um, I think they actually make pretty colored eggs. Um, so when I get my chicks or if you get chicks from the store, you have to put them in what they call a brooder, which is where you'll keep them up to about, I guess, about four to six weeks old Tigger. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I, I'm just going to do a little trunk. I'll put down some nice shavings in there. You have to have a good water source and also good food. Be very careful. Do a lot of research. Don't just put a water thing, a, a bowl of water in there because the chicks can drown. Yeah. Um, I'm going to actually, when I get them, I'm going to have to teach them how to drink. So you just take their little beak and dip it in there, which will be fun. Um, and then um, you introduce them to the water, then you're good to go. They're um, pretty smart little boogers. And, you know, I think initially they're a little bit um, shy and tentative, but um, as time goes on, they become a little bit more um, used to you and you can start to play with them and, and name them. <laughs> um so one of the things that um, that I'm going to do, and you also have to have to still be under a heat lamp of sorts. So wherever you decide to do this, some people like to do it in their garage. I personally have made my spare bedroom into my little chick room. <laughs> um, 
and they're going to have a little hate lamp. Um, but you want to make sure in my case, obviously I have other animals, um, that have, some have been around chicks and chickens before, but not often. So you want to make sure that nothing can get in. And as they get older, they can't get out. So this great design, um, you just get a regular uh, trunk that at Walmart or whatever, and you know the lids that you can pop on. You just cut out a large hole in the top of it, get some um, not twist ties, but those little plastic things that you run through that um, oh, what are they called? I can't think of them, but they close it down and get a um, piece of tight wire so that they have plenty of ventilation and you can have the heat lamp on them, and then you can just snap that onto the top. And, um, you just want to make sure they stay nice and warm. Um, I've seen anywhere from 88 to hundred degrees of where you should have them, um, so that they stay good and warm and you'll start to watch them grow. And, um, as they get to a certain age, that's when you can introduce them into the coop. And that will be the next conversation we have is what they do once they get into the coop. Um, but t- so Tigger, are all of yours right now, are they free range? Yes. And so do you, have you had any trouble? Um, do, do they just, do they go up in a barn at night? Where do they go? They go into the chick. We have two coops and Wookiee her- herds them in. That's adorable. Are you kidding? Ugh, that's adorable. Um, and t- so do you close, but do you close them up at night? Yeah. In the coop. Okay, so you do close them up because I know some people that just let them, you know, roost up in their barn and their and the horses love it. And um, but you obviously run the risk of um, having predators. So have you had problems with predators? Oh yeah. <laughs> What's been your biggest problem? Fox. And what has been your easiest fix? We, uh, our fox is very nice only kills one at a time and um obviously takes it to feed its family doesn't go in there and just kill all the oh, that's birds. nice so okay, that's uh, nice. our approach is um you know we're gonna live side by side with wildlife we're gonna take right. some losses and we're okay with that yeah, no, and I under yeah, I understand that. You know, I was uh, my husband Peter is very excited about doing this because he, lo- he loves you know farm fresh eggs and we love eggs and, um, uh, but I keep telling him I'm like I can't I can't even think about the thought of something happening to him. And he goes, okay, well why don't you get a couple extra chickens? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got the right idea. Yep, get a couple extra. Like, yep. Oh, boy. Oh, what boy. we have found yeah. is we don't get baby chicks anymore. Now we do have a hen that is sitting so we okay. may have some babies but we get pullets at the tractor supply uh uh poultry swap oh cool <laughs> and the farmers just come in on a saturday and they bring their pullets and so we've got you know pullets that are a month or so from lane mm-hmm. and that's that's how we have replenished our flock. We don't do baby chicks anymore. And we well, have I think one I, very ancient hen. Talk about senior citizen. She's almost ten years old. Wow! Oh my god, that's a tough old bird. Literally, literally. <laughs> See, the fox doesn't want her anymore. He look, takes one look at that one and goes, yeah. "Nope, nope, yeah. nope, Not nope." Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. 
Well, and there, and I will tell you, there are so many Facebook pages and so many websites that, that just give you really wonderful information about it. But there's a whole Facebook page that's just dedicated to, you know, backyard chickens in, in rural areas. Like, you know, um, oddly enough, Fort Worth, the town of Fort Worth, you're allowed to have backyard chickens, which just cracks me up. I don't know if you can have a rooster. And some are very specific, whether you can have a rooster or not have a rooster or whatever. But um but there's just a lots of really great information. And I think that the biggest thing is, and I'm Tigger, I know you know this, is that they're just, they're very smart and they make great pets. My, my daughter, Hannah, got into them three years ago. I didn't realize that her husband had a big chicken thing. <laughs> and they have a little uh, Cluckingham Palace in their backyard. And um, they come, she, you know, they come to her when they call when she calls them, it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. And so I don't know, I'm my next thing after I do this and I feel situated with this, I'll probably, I'd like to incubate a couple eggs. Cause that was just, that whole process was just neat to do. And, um, I just think it's, um, I think it's going to be a, a fun, exciting journey. And I really, I just can't wait to get them. I can't wait. Stay oh. tuned for the next installment people. And now we're at Critter Nutrition, and we're going to give you an overview of the gut-brain connection in equines. I've written quite a long, involved article, which you can get from our show notes or by going to Biostar US website and look for um, our blog posts, and it's up there. It's called What You Need to Know About Your Horse's Gut-Brain Connection. The gut-brain axis is complex, and there is so much we don't yet know about the intricate world of the gut microbiome. In Ayurvedic and traditional Chinese medicine, it's recognized that body systems are interconnected. An imbalance in the gut, for instance, will affect the brain, liver, kidneys, adrenals, and central nervous system. Western allopathic medicine has focused more on the symptoms and treatments of a specific body system that is out of balance. But as Eastern medicine has become more integrative with Western medicine, researchers are now recognizing the connection among internal biological systems. Understanding the gut-brain connection is very important when addressing horse health. We can't fundamentally address behavior issues poor performance, and anxiety in horses if we don't address the gut. While neurotransmitters such as norepinephrine and epinephrine are produced in the adrenal glands, nerve tissues, and brain, gut bacteria in the GI tract are able to stimulate and even generate the productions of neurotransmitters, including GABA and norepinephrine. Serotonin, for instance, binds to specific receptors in the GI tract. It is estimated that 90% of the body's serotonin is made in the digestive tract. Researchers have discovered that the cells that produce serotonin in the gut depend on microbes to make it. According to research done at Caltech, the specific bacteria to make serotonin are spore-producing bacteria, such as 
the soil-based organisms in Biostar Symbiota, and the store-producing bacteria Bacillus subtilis in Biostar's Hedro-GI. Serotonin dysfunction in horses is caused by imbalances in the gut microbiome and will affect brain functions such as mood, behavior, sleep, as well as immune modulation. Dopamine binds to GI tract receptors specifically in the mucosal layer and nerve endings of the intestinal wall. 50% of dopamine production occurs in the gut. GABA is the principal inhibitory neurotransmitter in the central nervous system. It blocks certain nerve signals in the brain to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress. The colonies of beneficial microbiota in the gut are sensitive to stress, lack of sleep, chronic or acute exposure to chemicals, life stress, diet, or medications can shift the microbial diversity, causing dysbiosis. Stress has a profound effect on the gastrointestinal tract, impacting gut motility, barrier functions, mucosal protection, and inflammation. Neurotransmitters responding to the stress can shift the microbial patterns in the gut which could influence neural activity and affect behavior and mood. The horse community has approached anxiety and reactivity in horses with calming supplements that target certain brain neurotransmitters. Many calming supplements provide neurotransmitter-affecting ingredients such as tryptophan, B1, inositol, taurine, theanine, glycine, and valerian root. While these ingredients may be helpful for calming horses, we can't fundamentally address behavior issues, poor performance, and anxiety in horses if we don't address the gut. For instance, calming supplements that don't address the gut and its bi-directional communication paths with the brain are missing the importance of serotonin production. Calming supplements that don't address the cortisol produced by the adrenal gland during periods of stress are also neglecting that two-way relationship and missing an even larger gut-strain-brain triad or axis of communication that's essential for understanding our horses and their health needs. Recent research published in Nature in 2020 on gut microbiota has highlighted different stressors in horses, the stress of training and competing, and how it impacts the gut microbiota. According to these findings, stress activates neurons release of norepinephrine and other neurotransmitters in the GI tract. Norepinephrine has been shown to promote the growth of pathological organisms, including Bortella, Listeria, and Salmonella. One way that norepinephrine promotes the overgrowth of pathogens is by facilitating E. coli adherence to the intestinal wall. Observations based on fecal samples taken over an eight-month period indicated that behavior was linked to gut microbiota. 
Horses stabled on straw with its natural complement of microorganisms benefited in gut health compared to horses on non-straw bedding. A healthy horse gut is like healthy soil. It nourish, nourishes and supports the host. When you plant a garden, you need healthy soil for the plants to thrive. The soil nourishes and supports the plants. If the soil in your garden is not healthy, you probably add micronutrients and fertilizer like manure to improve the soil and ensure the health of the plants. Fertilizers feed the entire complex community of soil organism, the soil food web, which includes the bacteria and fungi most important to plant growth. The practice of spreading manure on pastures results in feeding the soil food web, which then feeds the grasses for a healthier pasture. If the equine gut ecosystem is not healthy, we need to feed it by supporting the microbial community of bacteria, just like we do with soil. Remember, too, that organism diversity within these ecosystems is essential. Just as lack of biodiversity in the soil food web contributes to unhealthy soil, lack of biodiversity in the horse's gastrointestinal micro microbiota leads to an unhealthy gut. As you can see, the body is an organism of tremendous interconnectivity and communication. In many ways, the body is a mirror for the complexity of other systems in nature, such as the soil food web. In that system, we are just beginning to recognize and understand the layers of communication and community that exist among plants and trees. Very similarly, we are finally scratching the surface of the gut-brain web and other body systems of deep complexity and interconnection. In short, understanding health and well-being means understanding a core principle. Everything is connected. <laughs> Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why BioStar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. BioStar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real food ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The BioStar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BioStarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BioStarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. Well, we're doing a little substitute from Coffee Clatch uh, and because I, I have fallen in love with a book. And it's called Remarkably Bright Creatures. It's written by Shelby Van Pelt. This is her first novel. And it's about an octopus in an aquarium in uh, the state of Washington. And part of it is written from the octopus's point of view. And this is a very intelligent octopus, and he likes to escape because he he gets tired of being fed the same old herring. 
So he's figured out a way to wiggle out of his his uh, tank at night. And he goes and like gets into other tanks of other sea creatures and eats them. And then he finds that the kitchen uh, for the staff and he discovers Chinese food. Um, what is so wonderful about this book is not just the octopus, but the humans that he interacts with and that form some kind of a relationship with him and and how he impacts their lives. And they are they are very interesting humans. They're not um, perfect humans. They have multiple flaws. Um, one of the main characters is actually in her 70s and she's feeling the need to move to an assisted living place. And I found that very intriguing because so many novels are really about younger people. And um, I, I just, I really like the fact that, and there, there are young people characters in this book, but one of these main characters is dealing with some real, real senior issues that um, some of us like myself are looking at <laughs> that's, that's closer than what's in the rear view mirror. <laughs> it, it's so well written. There are times when you just chuckle. And she's what I like about her writing is that it's not flowery. There's no extemporaneous language. She uses she uses language to describe things in simplicity. So it's an easy read and it's the kind of read that you just want to read slowly because it it reads so well and you don't want it to end. Um, I kind of got interested in octopuses watching the, the documentary, My Octopus Teacher. If you haven't seen it, I, I think it's on still on Netflix. It's a true story of an Australian who has a relationship with a wild octopus. And, and that gave me the clue that, wow, these creatures are really special. They used to kind of scare me, but after watching my octopus teacher, now I have a totally different view of them. And now reading Remarkably Bright Creatures, I'm, I'm like, I definitely would like to be friends with an octopus. Um, so I, I'm recommending it. She's a first time author and it's, it's just an absolutely wonderful book. That sounds really cool. It's so good, Patty. And it's an easy read. You know, it's, it's, she uses language very simply and her characters are just, you, you know them all. You, you, you yeah. have run into them in your life. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, um, I, I bet you can get it on an audiobook. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're an audiobook person, but. I, you know, I, I, I am, actually. I was just looking it up on my Kindle. Um, what's the title again? But 
remarkably bright creatures. That won't show that. You think my thing was... Okay, now I'm reading about him being stuck under the cords. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? (laughs) Have you already started reading it? Well, they have a preview on Amazon. Ah, yeah, it's scary. He has 18 minutes to get out of the tank, get his food, and get back in. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. (laughs) 